When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocking Nation's Football Podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Parker Gillum. This is Before the Box Score, your post-Auburn overtime loss edition. It happened. We all watched it. Or maybe you didn't, in which case you'd be the fortunate one. But your Tigers did fall in vain to Auburn on the road, on the Plains, 17-14 on Saturday night. Parker and I are here to break it down. Parker is our beat writer, if you don't know. You can follow him at Gillum underscore Parker. He is the one that gives updates both on college football and high school football. If you are a Columbia resident uh, who supports battle, you probably follow him already. But Parker, hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, not back for uh, for another round. I've been in and out of this podcast, I guess, occasionally over the past year. It's, uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, you've had a, I think this might be the second or third time that you've done it. So uh, glad to have you here. But uh, yeah, obviously uh, we got... Not the best circumstances in which to cover a, a game, a team, this team in particular, this game in particular. Missouri lost. And it's not that they lost. It's really not the fact that they lost. Because outside of your extreme positive people who think they're gonna Missouri's gonna win every game, and the extreme negative people who think Missouri's gonna lose every game, in the middle, what we'll call kind of that happy medium spot, most people thought that Missouri didn't have much of a chance. And whether you blame that on the makeup of this team, the fact that Drinkwitz stinks on the road, or whatever other factors that you have. People thought it might be close, but I think the overwhelming thought was that they weren't going to win. So when Missouri has not won but two opportunities to win, and they still lose, that's what makes it hurt the most. But Parker, what is the biggest thing you took away from this game yesterday? Well, I think number one, uh, the the cliche, and I, I talked about it a little bit on Saturday, but the cliche of college football being a game of inches, you could probably count the inches that Missouri was away from winning that game between the missed field goal and then the fumble on the one-yard line. So, I mean, I mean, it, it, it epitomized the fact that you've got teams that, you know, now Auburn, Brian Harson, his job is saved for another month due to five, six inches, and now Mizzou is in even more turmoil than they were before um, due to literally two plays that could have easily gone the other way um and that were you know expected to go the other way um so yeah it just it it really emphasized for me how how close of a sport uh or how close the margin between winning and losing is in college football and how much that can definitely make fans suffer because uh yeah i was watching with a large group of people and um i mean stunned is probably the best word i can use to describe the reaction i don't know how you reacted to the the finish i guess but that was my word for it yeah, I was just disappointed. I'm not the thing that 
that comes to me is I, I never blame the players because the players are going to do what the coaches tell them to do. And these players in particular, college players, are not perfect. Even the best are not 100% consistent. So that's just part of the game. That's part of being a fan of college football, uh, certainly a coach of college football, is that you got to understand that you don't have the same team week to week. You don't have the same player game to game. And, and, and to bank on something like that is a complete fallacy. So I don't blame our thicker for missing the field goal. Not last week, not two weeks ago. I don't blame Nathaniel Pete for trying to win the game, doing a little risky maneuver and sticking the ball out to try to cross the plane. Neither one of those worked. And in retrospect, I don't think Nate would want to stick the ball out. You know, in retrospect, maybe Harrison does take a couple of practice kicks. I don't know. But regardless of what you, you, you roll out with what you expect to happen and kind of the magic of college football, you talked about a game of inches. The other part is that it happens, you know, blink that out, leave out if you need to, but like sometimes you have a good player that doesn't get the job done. Sometimes you have an automatic that misses. Sometimes you have a series of plays that have worked all year that just don't work. And, and so this was just one of those games where stuff happens and, and it was, it's just, it's just, that's what that's what occurred. You have dropped interceptions. You had a Luther Burden who just went missing. You had Thicker missing a field goal. You had a fumble, well, a fumble into the end zone that was recovered by the the defense. These sorts of things happen. And, and that's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna quickly say that's why I feel like it's such a big difference between uh, at least a good difference between the NFL and college, at least at the coaching level. You, I feel like there's more guarantees with NFL players. You know, you put your kicker out there in the NFL. Some Bears and Bengals fans might say otherwise, but usually that kicker is making that kick. You know, they're being paid to do that job. In college, as you're saying, these guys are these guys are wild cards sometimes. Even even Mevis, who was you know thought of to be such a solidified entity as one of the best kickers in the country, sometimes that happens, and sometimes that costs. Not I mean, again, not saying anything about Drinkwitz's job, but sometimes that costs people jobs. That costs people's you know seasons and their expectations and. College football is such a sport where you just have to roll with the punches, and yeah. it's oftentimes very, very difficult to continually take those punches and want to come back. Yeah. No, I agree. It's just things can happen. And so when you get to the argument that the end of regulation, Brady Cook uncorks a dime to Don Lovett, who twists his body in half and catches it while he's laying on his butt, it, it was an incredible play. I, I I, I legitimately, I, I so rarely do this anymore, but I stood up off my couch and gave a little, because I, could, I couldn't, hey, I couldn't believe go. it. Um, yeah. So then what? Now you got first and first and goal on the three. And so let's go back to what I'm talking about. Stuff happens, right? You, you don't have, you can't bank on players being automatic. You have roughly 45, 48 seconds left in the game. You have momentum. You have an offense that is surprisingly moving the ball on a very stout Auburn run defense. And what does Eli Drinkwitz decide to do? He decides to play it what he believes as the as a safe play, which is take two knees, center the ball, and have Mevis do his thing. But again, not only is Harrison Mevis a college kicker, which there's a whole hashtag online about college kickers and how unreliable oh, yeah. they are, but just last week he missed two. Now, he nailed a 50-yarder, but he missed two. And so we already have in our mind, eh, maybe he's not as automatic as we think. And you have damn near 50 seconds and your timeouts to go. 
Now, along those lines, if you run a play, could it be picked? Yes. Could it be fumbled? Yes. Okay, fine. But at the end of the day, if you do fumble and you lose the ball, it's the same as missing a field goal, which is what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now, granted, that kick is probably made 999 times out of 1,000. I understand that. But in my mind, and I, I was texting BK as this was happening, I said, it doesn't hurt to run one play. Just take Schrader, say, yep. hold on to that ball, or I will murder you to death, and just run <laughs> up the middle and see what ha- just see what happens. And they didn't like to do that. And in the end, it bit them. Now, in hindsight, it looks like that was the wrong move, obviously. But Parker, I mean, am I crazy about thinking about using momentum and going for the kill rather than playing it safe all the time? Uh, I don't think so at all. I, there were a couple interesting things about that finish. Um, first off, you do you have running backs that haven't they've shown this season that they're pretty they're careful with the ball. Not a lot of fumbles so far this season. So, I mean, if you're banking on those what ifs and those probabilities. I would be personally, I would have liked to see them run two plays, both running plays. I am not, I'm not trusting the passing game in the red zone uh, right now, but um, yeah, I mean, Pete and Schrader running really well all, all game long. Offensive line was getting some push occasionally. I, it was worth a shot. It was worth a shot in one or two plays. If you get stuffed on the first play, maybe you're just like, Hey, whatever, mm-hmm. let's throw the towel in. Let's go for this field goal. What I found most interesting. And I assume this was just Mevis's preference, of course. And this is where he wanted it. They they center the ball in the middle of the field. More often than not, in especially in the college game, I've seen kickers, they like it on one of the hashes. Usually for right kicker, usually honestly left left hash from what I've right. seen. And kicker wanted right. it or thicker wanted it straight in the middle, which I found very interesting, and then he pushed it right. Um so I was I was intrigued because usually you see the quarterback when they do those plays, you know, you would have seen Brady Cook run off to the right or run off to the left and then just slide down. I remember one of the plays, I'm pretty sure he just dropped back and then just kind of ran forward and slid essentially in the same spot, just to kind of center it more. Um, and I just, I was interested. I was like, all right, I'm not going to doubt Mevis. He knows where he wants the ball. But yeah, straight on. I mean, you're staring at the goalpost and the crowd behind you. I almost feel like that adds more pressure just being straight on, literally, you know, just having to kick it completely straight as opposed to maybe having to angle it a little bit. I don't know. I'm no college kicker uh, or, you know, by any means, but. <laughs> I was interested to see him center that ball and then, of course, to push it right afterwards. But I agree. I would have liked to see at least one or two plays run, um, give them a chance to score that touchdown. All the momentum in the world was at your back. You might as well have pursued it at that time. Um, yeah. But hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm also not a college kicker, but I knew one. Uh, Tanner Mills, who used to handle kickoffs for uh, Missouri back in 2009, I asked him about you know what his preference was, and he said that he was like most kickers. He was right-footed. And he said that when he when he when he has a bias or like a like a, a flare basically, if he's gonna miss, he's gonna miss right. And he and he always knew that. So he said, if you're gonna line me up, get me on the left hash. So when I miss, I got a little bit of room to the right to miss it. Simple as that. Now each kicker is gonna be different. Left-footed kickers probably have a bias to the to the left, um, or maybe you understand that the way you kick makes it hook one way or the other. Is kind of weird. I, I'm not going to do this. I'm kind of curious now to go back and look at where Mevis um, has made, which hash he has made the most and what he seems to favor. But, yeah, you, you nailed it. Cook took the ball, and he ran backwards five yards on purpose and went squarely in the middle. So that's that's what they wanted. Uh, and then the second snap, he just immediately took a knee. So here we are. You miss it in regulation. It happens. And then you get into overtime. There is a, Still got a chance. A, a, a damn near interception uh, off of a deflection that was definitely not an interception, but it, it gave you a little bit yeah. of hope. 
And then what happens? The uh, uh, Anders Carlson misses the field goal, but Darius Robinson has uh, an encroachment. He's offsides at the snap, so they get to try it again. So then they make it. Okay, so we've basically won this three times now, and now we got another shot at it. Nate Peets runs it twice. The second time he extends for the goal line, has it, um, drops it essentially, and Auburn pounces on it. So that is the game. I just have this nagging feeling in the back of my head. It's been a bone of contention for me basically since last year that Drinkwitz has two two things that I don't agree with. Number one, he's overly conservative. Number two, he wants to win now with experienced pieces. That means that he doesn't have super creative offenses. He kind of goes into bunker mode when things get hard, uh, runs power on one of the best run defenses in the country. It just so happened this time. And then he doesn't play as young guys. And this was just this was just an epitome of that. Luther Burden may or may not be hurt. I don't know. There's a couple of creative plays out there, but for the most part, it was a very simplistic game plan with a couple of downfield shots and then very conservative measures towards the end of the game. So I don't know, Parker. This is kind of the coach we have. I don't think he's going to change. I, he's not going to get fired, but I don't think he's going to get an OC. And I don't know, man. How do you feel about him long term? I mean, the thing with me, and you you just mentioned it, I mean, I want to see him get an offensive coordinator. You have rarely, rarely seen a head coach that takes over, you know, coordinator duties because they either have a background with it or they were literally just came from being an offensive coordinator. And I just, you rarely see, especially at an SEC program where you have so, so much going on as a head coach running a program like that. To also add in that you have the entire charge of calling the plays, I feel like that is too much. And I just feel like, at least to me, I feel like Drinkwitz needs to check his ego and be like, hey, I need to get a guy to help me out here. He can totally still have a big hand in calling the plays, obviously. But just having that extra help, I mean, even look at Kirby Smart at Georgia. One of the best defensive minds in the country has an immense background being a defensive coordinator. He's had DCs at Georgia. He hasn't just taken over doing that because he's realized he's got to divvy it up a little bit. Um, so I, that's what I want to see. If there's any result of this season off the field that I want to see, it's not him getting fired. It's him getting offensive coordinator. And I hope that the public pressure and then potentially some athletic department pressure can help him do that. Do I think it'll happen? I probably less than a 50% chance right now, just kind of knowing him and how things are trending. But, uh, I hope so, because I agree with you. It's too conservative sometimes because they went down 14-0, stormed back really quickly, tied things up, and then it seemed like they just shut it down. And they were both teams were just so scared to let their young quarterback make the, or to allow their young quarterback to be in a situation where they can make a mistake to lose the game that they just ultra conservative were content with going back and forth and punting and we're going to let this game figure itself out in the final minute or so, which – it still should have worked out for Mizzou, of course, but uh, as we know, it did not. So, yeah, that's that's what I hope comes out of this. Um, and then you mentioned the the offsides of the field goal. I did think if there's any point in which Mizzou did, they did something wrong to lose this game, it was that offsides penalty. I mean, the fumble in the end zone doesn't matter. We're still going to a second overtime. Maybe they're still playing right now in overtime 50 and they haven't scored yet. Um, but they're still playing football after that fumble if they don't go offsides yeah. in that play, which that was that's a killer. Yeah. I don't know what they were doing. They had two offsides penalties on field goals. So something they were doing something weird or the special teams. Excited. Yeah. They were just too jacked up on Mountain Dew. I don't know, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just, as long as Eli Drinkwitz is here, I find it really hard to believe that he's going to ever be okay. Hiring an offensive coordinator. It's going to take Desiree Reed Francois sitting him down and saying, your job is in jeopardy unless you bring on an OC. 
And I just, I, I don't see her doing that. Um, she doesn't seem like the type to make <laughs> just overarching threats like that to their football coach, uh, especially yeah. with, well, I'm not going to go down that path, but I, I just, I don't see it happening. And, and if he's going to go down the ship with the ship, he's going to be the captain of the offense and the offense is going to stink. Then. Okay. I mean, kudos to you. You know, I'm glad you think you can football coach your way out of a problem. That's not always the answer. And, and, you know, to your point, Dan, uh, you know, Dan Lanning was, was Kirby Smart's DC. Kirby Smart was Nick Saban's DC. Uh, the only other coach that I can think of in the SEC who calls his own plays is Mike Leach. And that's because he has eight plays. <laughs> like, yeah, I was about to say, Mike Leach is a different animal entirely. He's, he's just crazy. <laughs> it's a, Which, it's you know, a, I, Drinkwitz is not to his level. <laughs> it's not. And, and, and so, you know, think of, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of Georgia Tech's old coach, Paul, um, Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson. Uh, he he called his own offense too, but again, triple option. It's like eight yeah. plays. Same with Mike Leach. Mike Leach is a you know that air raid is basically a throwing triple option. So it's really mm-hmm. easy for him to just say, all right, you know, I'll just you know run play number three. Like that's all he has to do. <laughs> um, you know, Drinkwitz is always referencing his chart and, and trying to figure out the best thing to do, and he always ends up on power, and that's that's just kind of what he does. So. I don't know. I, I don't know what his mind space is during the games. Uh, if it's a if it's a pride thing, or just a control thing, which I guess go hand in hand, or you know, truly he doesn't trust anybody else. I don't know, man. It just it doesn't seem to be working right now. And part of that is I think the quarterback uh, and the offensive line, which again that lands on the on the coaches. The fact that. They did try to address the offensive line, bringing in Bincy Polgar, trying to find a Juco tackle. Uh, hope that Hiron Wyken comes back and, and you just had to press Connor Tolleson too early and have a rotating cast at right tackle. And then they tried to address the quarterback thing and they couldn't get any of the transfers except for Jack Abraham, who's, who isn't any good. So, you know, Parker, I, I, I give Drinkwitz a lot of crap for being super conservative and, and not innovative. And I still think I'm right, but every once in a while I go, well, you know, what? he also doesn't have a lot to work with, which is his fault, by the way. But if you yeah. don't have a reliable offensive line and a quarterback that you don't trust, I mean, isn't this kind of what you end up with anyway? You're almost I mean, you're almost playing with fire on each play because, I mean, you would love to call more downfield shots, but you're also like Brady is going to complete one two out of ten of those maybe and then he's also maybe throwing an interception two out of ten times so you know you're just playing the numbers game at that point how often are we going to be successful with these explosive bigger down the field plays um and you know i think his mindset a lot of people make fun of the screen passes he throws a lot i think his mindset going into the year was he knew offensive line was going to be rough quarterback was going to be rough i just didn't get the ball to my playmakers Unfortunately, Auburn and Kansas State, that didn't happen. They shut down Luther Bird, and good defenses are able to take out, you know, your best player. And they really have not been able to adjust besides that. Dominic Lovett has really stepped up, and he's been the answer at times for them. But, um, yeah, I just think it, it's a mix of both. It is, it is you know, his fault with the roster. Um, I think it's – the biggest thing I'm wondering with Drinkwood's going forward and I think will determine the trajectory of his career is – He's proven that he can recruit well, but there's that is only 50% of, the, of it. I would argue potentially even the bigger part of it is the player development aspect. The, the favorite example I like to have growing up a Tennessee fan is Butch Jones at Tennessee. He recruited multiple top 10 classes nationally, but he could never develop his four and five star talent. And if you can't do that, you're not going to find you know much more success in the field than what you already have. So I'm interested to see if Drinkwitz, if he can bring some of these players along 
or if they're just going to come in and not get any better than, you know, how they were in high school, essentially at all. So, I mean, I don't think that's going to be the case with Luther Burden by any means, because I think he's just, he's a special talent, but I'm wondering with a lot of these other guys, um, you haven't seen a lot of development from the, this offensive line. I haven't necessarily seen anything from Brady this year to say that he's better than last year. Um, and then kind of just looking across the board. I mean, I haven't defensively Trajan Jeff code and some of those guys, I haven't seen them get better. I mean, Jeff code hasn't produced, um, you know, like he did early in his career in, in the past two seasons. So you look at some of those and there's some disturbing trends. So I, I do, I am concerned about that. And I've seen, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that gets coaches fired is not being able to develop players properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Acquire the talent, develop the talent, deploy the talent. And he's certainly got box number one checked or he's shown that he can do that. Box number two and box number three, we got, got some points of contention there. So mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about Luther Burden. You talked to, you, you brought him up. He's got to be injured, right? Like I can't, I literally uh, yeah. can't think of any other reason why other than the fact that Drinkwood says he specifically wants to limit his touches, which is insanity to me. <laughs> he was not on the field all that much, had a couple of targets, no catches, no runs. And if you watch the TV broadcast, every announcer is like, where's Luther Burden? Where's Luther Burden? <laughs> At some point it, it must be he's injured or Drinkwitz is an idiot. You've been pretty close to this, to this team. What, uh, what's your read on the situation? I mean, I, I do recall in the Abilene Christian game, um, one of the, I believe, the second or third punt return in that game, he, he went off the field, um, off to the sideline by himself. He was looked at by a trainer for a couple minutes. Nothing really came of it. It seemed more, he walked off fine. It seemed more head injury, potentially. I hate to speculate, but holding his head, it looked like that. He was kind of on the sideline, just head down. Um, but then he still came back in later that game, uh, got the ball a little bit and, you know, played some more snaps. So nothing really seemed too off going into this one, but I do wonder if it is, you know, head injury, concussion potentially that's lingering with him that they're kind of, yeah, I would, I don't like how, if if that's the case, I don't like how they're handling it to where they're like, we're going to let you play a little bit, but not a lot. You've either got to rest the guy for like a full week or two and get him, let him get back to hundred percent instead of just continuing to play him at, you know, 60, 70%. Again, this is all speculation, but I do, I think it probably is head injury related. Um, and I think it's something they're just probably closely monitoring right now. So every time he gets hit in the head, they're probably bringing him to the sideline saying, hey, how are you feeling? Do we need to keep you out for a couple drives? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know, maybe it's internal stuff. Maybe something's happened internally. I would doubt it knowing what Luther kind of is as a, as a kid from what I've heard and a lot of the stuff that's been written about him. Um, but, I mean, that's also a possibility. But it confuses me too. I mean, you've got – I mean, he proved it in game one that he is going to be the best player on that field for Mizzou whenever he steps out there uh, for the most part. So – I, it, it cannot be any on-field production or anything he's been doing wrong in the field because he's had, I mean, even his stats haven't been necessarily incredible, but he's had so many times when he's been open and targeted and either it's an overthrow or just some great defense to where like he deserves at least 10 targets a game in the passing game, probably 15 touches overall a game. I mean, that's if he's fully healthy though. So there's, mm-hmm. I agree, there's got to be something health-wise with him right now. Um, it's just, I doubt Drinkwitz is the last person that's going to announce anything like that publicly. So we will just have to continue to speculate. On the broadcast, you could see him occasionally in the background, um, doing high knees, kind of running in place. Yeah. He's kind of seemed like he was maybe working on his ankle or maybe his knee or something like that. I couldn't tell. And again, speculation is bad, but he seemed to be trying to shake something out on the sideline. And so I was like, all right, maybe he's just, you know, stepped on it wrong, got rolled up or landed weird, something like that. But 
he is your best athlete. It was proven in game one. We've seen it multiple times, but yeah, you, you nailed it. When he gets, when he goes downfield, he gets overthrown or, you know, it's, it's short and the defender breaks it up. Uh, he was, he was the target on the interception on Saturday. You know, I, I feel like he's a pretty decent run blocker, but that's not really why you want to use him. So it's, there's a lot of factors that can go into it. But the point is when you have an athlete of this caliber in the era that we are in, it behooves you to play him and to get him involved. And if this is an injury situation, fine, whatever. We're not, we don't need to know. Uh, if it's something serious, I'm with you. Please stop rolling him out. Uh, if it's just something, you know, minor and you're, and you're saving him. Okay. What point do you no longer worry about that? I, I don't know what that situation is. That's obviously a conversation that Luther and Eli need to have together. Uh, so there's no point in me speculating. It's just a question that I'm thinking in my head. And we also, but this offense is not super, it's not super creative, and it does a pretty good job of getting Dom Lovett involved. It would just be so much better if you got Luther involved as well. Yeah, we didn't, and we also, unless unless mistaken, I don't think we've seen the Wildcat formation with Luther running it um, nope. in the past two games, I believe. Um, which yeah. was, I mean, a, they ran it pretty frequently against Louisiana Tech. Uh, I forget how many times it was featured against K State, but I I think he at least took some snaps with it, and it was successful. So I mean, I think that's probably the biggest sign that they're not willing to literally just let him run the ball, you know, up the middle, essentially that I, that's probably a sign of injury, if anything, but I, I hate to see that go. Cause I do remember in fall camp when they were, they were running that wild get system and they would tell all the media, turn off all cameras, nothing like that. We're trying to leave this a surprise. And um, I mean, everybody's really excited about it. You got, you know, either him and Pete or him and love it, you know, running that kind of read, read jet sweep. And I mean, it works so well with just athletes like that, but, yeah, I I would hate to see the biggest thing is I would hate to see his freshman season derailed due to injury, um, you know. And I think when you're thinking with him, long term versus short term, I would always play the long term with with a guy like okay. Luther Burden. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll find out in the next couple of weeks what his injury status is. Uh, we'll have to see how much he plays against Georgia, because um, I mean <laughs> the ironic part is against Georgia he's going to be going up against a team full of guys just like him. So. Uh, I don't know if he's going to look necessarily that special out there against UGA, but uh, we'll have to see. I'd love to see him get a chance, though, to go against them um, and really prove himself that he's one of the elite talents in the country because I think he can do it even against the Georgia defense. Oh, I'm sure he wants to do that, too. <clears throat> so we'll we'll see. Let's get to let's get to a good part, because, yeah, this was a this was a game of negatives. And there's obviously a lot of negativity after any loss, in particular one that was this close. Let's talk about the defense really quick because this is this this is this is a legitimate awesome defensive unit. The downside is that it takes them about 15 minutes to figure out what you want to do. Yep. Uh, Blake Baker needs about a quarter of film to go. Okay, well that's what you look like. Cool. And then he shuts it down. Mm-hmm. Like it's the success rates of every opponent this year. The highest have been in the first quarter, and then it's just diminishing returns uh, as the as the game goes on. So this is. This is a legitimate defense, and like you said, you know they had two two drives in the first quarter where they got fourteen points. Literally nothing after that until you get into uh, overtime when they scored again. That's it. The run defense is stout. Yeah, they gave up a couple of explosive plays through the air. Uh, Coy Moore was a particularly good receiver. He was able to get open against those corners, uh, but the secondary was was oppressive. The defensive front, uh, the front lines was able to limit what uh, what Auburn can do on the ground, both for Ashford 
uh, and including Tank Bigsby, who I think had only 44 yards on the ground, which is insanity to me. Mm-hmm. Basically, Auburn finished the game with under 220 yards, 217 total. Uh, that that if you told me that last year, like hey, actually 12 months from now, Missouri's going to hold Auburn to 217 yards. I would have told you you are high. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how this had happened so quickly, and obviously the transfers have something to play with it, but it's just a full defensive unit effort, and you might not have the disruption from the ends, but oh my God, Parker, this is such a impressive unit and such improved defensive unit, and you know if they if they can carry the water on a couple of more of these games and hope to just give the offense one or two shots. Maybe you find a couple of wins in there. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the biggest thing for me is this unit's also doing this when, I mean, in that second half, it was back and forth punts, almost three and outs every time. I mean, the defense is going out there knowing in that second half that we're probably going to be right back on the field in, you know, five, 10 minutes, even if we get a stop right here. So it's even more impressive that they're doing that being fatigued. You mentioned, Bigsby only got 44 yards. He had 37 of those in the first quarter. He had seven the rest of the game um, from what the broadcast uh, said later in the game, which is just incredibly impressive. Also, Robbie Ashford had success running early. He's a real great athlete. And they, as you said, Baker somehow just, it's both a great thing and not the best thing. But after those first two drives, he figured it out. And defensive line contained Ashford, didn't let him scramble. The design quarterback runs weren't working anymore. Um, And it was just, I got to give to him, king of the adjustments. We just maybe need him to be king of the, um, I guess, pregame film potentially um, would, would help a little bit. But uh, but no, I, I was really, really impressed with how, A, how this team fought back at, just as a whole. But the defense in the second half dominated the line of scrimmage. I've really, really been impressed with the secondary as well throughout this season. Uh, mainly their tackling, especially open field tackling. The coverage has been decent, uh, exposed at times down the field, but... Um, yeah, I just think, I mean, we knew the talent coming in was going to be there. The depth was going to be there for the most part across the board. It was just going to be, how do they adjust to Baker's system? Can they have a stronger start this season than last? And I mean, they definitely, they definitely have. Um, and so, I mean, they, they can just only do so much. Cause I mean, to your point, you said 12 months ago, holding Auburn to, uh, what or whatever it was 217 yards or something around there. Uh, my first question would have been, oh yeah, we won. Right. Unfortunately. Not not the case. <laughs> yeah. So, but still very impressive. Yeah. I I've really first couple of weeks just in terms of the personalities of the defense. I've seen at press conferences and then how they played. Really, really enjoying watching this defense play, and I'm excited for Baker's future here. So, I think he's going to do great. Absolutely, as long as we can hold on to him, it's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, Auburn had seven possessions in the second half. Five of them were three and outs. Yeah. Wow! 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 That is. And again, I mean, it's incredible. It's an Auburn offense that isn't the greatest, but it was. I mean, Robbie no. Ashford and Tank Bigsby are both stellar runners and Auburn was Auburn came into this game saying, we're just going to try to run it down your throat. They did the first two drives mm-hmm. and then credit to Mizzou for stepping up and be like, no, that's not happening anymore. So, and that was the key to the game, forcing Ashford to throw. Absolutely. Yeah. He didn't, ha- he didn't have to do it much only 18 times, um, but didn't go anywhere. 127 yards. Um, plus I think he got sacked once. And then uh, that uh, uh, Garner backup got sacked twice. And oh, yeah. five drop. He had a tough time. Uh, yeah, freshman. That, that sucks. That sucks real bad. So I, it was not all doom and gloom. The running game did start to click. I think Nate Pete really established himself as a kind of bona fide first guy on the field. Obviously, the, the fumble was devastating for him, certainly, and, and for all of us. But he was able to find some spots. It wasn't perfect. He got uh, there's plenty of tackle for, tackles for loss or met at the line. But 
Uh, he and Schrader proved to be a pretty effective one-two punch, uh, so much so that they were, they were the only running backs that saw any action. And uh, with a with makeshift kind of patchwork offensive line, sometimes bringing out a sixth guy, I'm not saying that's the long-term answer because again, Auburn kind of kind of bad. But you know, against at least their defense was pretty good, and Missouri found some stuff to to get some room on the ground against again one of the better run defenses in the country. So I'm not saying it's fixed. I'm not saying this is the answer going forward. But you know, in a in a, in a gut punch game like that, you got to take something positive. And I think the, the this was definitely in my mind the best performance from the running back so far this year. Agree? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I just think Pete. If he looked like what we expect him to look like coming into the season, he had some nagging injuries in fall camp. Maybe that contributed to his performance the first couple of weeks. But, I mean, he showed it all. He showed. We knew he had a great speed. I was really impressed just with how how tough he was running. It was taking two, three guys to tackle him each time, and he was falling forward each time, usually gaining one or two more yards um, because of that. And, yeah, I was – he and Trader, but Trader's kind of always done it, but they both run with such an edge and almost like an anger that it, I mean, it gets fans excited just to see guys running like that so passionately. Um, but yeah, really impressed with Pete. I agree. I think he's probably stepping up as the number one running back from now on. And to get Schrader as a nice short yardage option uh, to kind of compliment him. Um, I, I'd be intrigued to see now how they, now that Pete's had a game like this, are they going to try to get him the ball in more creative ways now, as opposed to just through traditional running style? I mean, I would be, I would be in favor of seeing Pete get out there on some of those, you know, short screen passes, get some more, you know, slip screens for him potentially. Cause I think in space, I mean, he's just, he's tough to take down. He's a small guy, low to the ground, built kind of like a bowling ball, uh, but he's got enough speed and power to, you know, it, it'll take multiple guys to take him down. So yeah, I was, th- those two scoring drives, especially offensive line got some great push and those running backs look great. And then it just second half for whatever reason, it's almost like that magic just kind of disappeared. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the play calling or if just Auburn figured it out or what it may be, but yeah, but encouraging signs just wish it continued for longer, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's, it's tough to tell. You know, we've, we've, we have cited, unfortunately we have cited the 2015 Missouri team quite frequently <laughs> this year and it's only week five. Yeah. And BK is very fond of pointing out that, for all of the accolades that that defense got, you know, opponents realized eh, you only really need to score once because <laughs> that Missouri offense isn't going to do much. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot uh, more simplistic or more conservative game plans that they had to go against. My counter to that is that it doesn't matter. Even the advanced stats say that was the third best defense in the country that year. So even if they were seeing a simplified game plan, they were knocking it out of the park. So I don't know if it was, you know, a gentleman's agreement of, okay, well, you know, we're just going to trade artillery shots and, and, and just boom, boom, <laughs> just take turns, yeah. the quick shots, and then move on. Because, um, yeah, just nobody could move anywhere. And it was a, it was a battle of punters. And along those lines, uh, again, Sean Cading was was a very serviceable punter uh, towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year. But, who, buddy, if you are in a punting battle, Jack Stonehouse is your guy. Because yeah. <laughs> I know he outkicked the coverage – basically every single punt and i know that's what he got yelled at for last week but if you need to if you're at your five and you need to get it at the other five jack is your guy and he uncorked some beautiful punts uh i can't believe i'm having to say that but here we are uh and he really helped keep that defense in the game and therefore keep the offense in the game so i voted him as one of my most valuable players Me for too. our mv3 right there with and you. uh yeah i mean you saw it it was it was beautiful yeah and it was it, it was so interesting to me because i would I was in the preseason and I kind of mentioned this a little bit on Twitter, but 
Um, Drinkwitz to me was even, from what I can tell from the press conferences, even more concerned about the punter position than he was quarterback, at least in fall camp. Cause he just, I mean, we would go out there and we saw a couple times him yelling at the punters, getting on to him about some things and just no guy seemed to really emerge. And every time, we, you know, people would ask him about it, he was kind of mute on it or kind of like, well, this is still a work in progress. This is going to go into games. Um, and so it's, it's great to see Jackson now step up like this. You mentioned the outkick and the coverage thing. I'm, I'm no special teams coach, but I feel like, hey, if you got a guy that's going to boot it 50-plus yards like that, let's adjust our coverage then maybe for him because I'd rather just let him boom it. Because, yeah, yeah, he had that 60, I believe it was a 61-yarder in the second half that really flipped the field, um, pinned them inside the 20 a couple times. There were still some rough ones here and there. He's not he's not polished by any means yet. Uh, but, I yeah, really impressed with how he played. Seems like he stepped. he's kind of going to step up and be that guy for them going forward. Only a redshirt freshman, too, so he's got plenty of time. He can be yeah. the punter of the future for this program, which is really nice. Um, and, I mean, I, I will always say, I mean, field position, I feel like, is one of the most underrated parts of just football in general. And I feel like having a great mm-hmm. punter, you'll probably, I mean, I feel like you can ask a lot of coaches in the country, having a great punter is a weapon. I mean, it, you can really utilize that to your advantage, especially when you're a defense-first team like Mizzou is right now, and you can just pin them deep. That's kind of how the second half went. Um, so now you just got to get the offense to be that final missing piece, but yeah, really, really impressed with him. Seems like Drinkwitz has finally found his guy there. I had, you kind of touched on a little bit. We are talking about punters as one of our big positive takeaways from this game, which kind of says a little bit about it, but it's a positive. It's, it's, it's something to take away. So here we are. Missouri is sitting, uh, we're sitting at, uh, two and two, oh, one, one in the SEC, just lost another game. One of the interesting things about this schedule for this year was that Missouri had seven home games and they had five games on the road. Okay. Well, if we all agree that Eli Drinkwitz can't win on the road, <laughs> there's there's five losses right there, and we just went through two of them. Yep. If we can all agree that there's no way in hell he beats Georgia at home, there's there's a sixth loss. So basically, that leaves all of your home games to get you to six wins, and you're currently at two. Well, what are those home games? Well, there's Vanderbilt at home on October 22nd, Kentucky at home on November 5th, which Will Levis is, Levis is looking a little bit more legit, but I am still a little bit skeptical. Then you got New Mexico State at home, which is, I, we should all agree, that should be a win. And then you have Arkansas. So let's just... I don't know what Vanderbilt's a tough is a tough out, but let's just assume that they're going to win that one. And let's assume that you're going to beat New Mexico state. So really your season comes down to beating Kentucky at home and then beating Arkansas at home to get to six wins. Parker, is that doable? I mean, frankly, no, I, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, no, I just, I do think I would almost argue that Arkansas game is going to be more winnable than the Kentucky one a for the rivalry game factor. B, just because I think Arkansas, with the schedule they have, is going to be so beat up and just fatigued by the time they get to that last game of the season that Mizzou is going to be able to benefit from that a little bit, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kentucky's had Mizzou's number ever since they come to the SEC. They've won some heartbreakers, really close games. I mean, again, even based on how they played Saturday, I think this Mizzou team is capable of competing with most of the teams in the SEC, not all of them. But it's can they win these close games? You know, Kentucky's dominated them in that factor. Arkansas has got the, the offensive firepower to be able to win in the fourth quarter. When it gets to winning time, we saw on Saturday, the offense really for a myriad of reasons, couldn't get it done. I just, I don't trust them to be able to, even if they're in a close game to be able to get it done against either of those teams. And that's why I got to refrain from picking them. Um, I do think Arkansas is the more likely victory, but 
I, yeah, after the K-State game, I kind of had them just based on how they looked, I had them pegged at five wins. I changed my original six and six preseason prediction to it's looking like five for me right now. I think though they will upset someone. It will not just be kind of a chalk four and eight beat Vandy and you're done. Um, but yeah, I just I cannot see a bowl game this year, unfortunately. Which is it's going to be a step back, and it's going to be tough for Drinkwitz to explain. Yeah, but he's not going to get fired. Um, of the road games, which one do you have circled as the most likely to be a Missouri win, if any? Yeah, I mean, the obvious pick is the. I mean, it's the Maris Cup, correct? With South Carolina, it's. Um, I mean, it's just South Carolina's looked a little shaky. I think they're still. They're a more talented, probably slightly more deeper team than Mizzou, but I think you get a couple of Spencer Rattler interceptions, get some momentum on the road, and maybe that's a sneaky one you can get. Um, I I don't know if this secondary can hang with Tennessee's passing attack. Um, Tennessee's got a lot of big tests before them. We're going to learn a lot more about them before they play Mizzou, but I, I don't think the secondary is going to be able to hang with just the spread off as the Tennessee runs. Um, there will be a lot of motivation after how they embarrassed Mizzou and Columbia last year, so maybe – they go into Knoxville really just hyped up to try to get back at them for last season and, you know, take them down. But yeah, I, I the Carolina game, I probably am a more likely, I got them more likely to win that than the Arkansas Kentucky games. I will definitely say just um, even besides all the road woes and all that. Um, I think they could get it done in that one, but I mean, it's going to be tough because you would have to combine South Carolina with then beating Kentucky or Arkansas to get to those six wins. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most, likely path i guess to six um but mm-hmm. i mean it's tough because i mean you we chalked vandy up as a win i right now that's a 50 50 game for me even on homecoming i tough. i don't know i mean yeah. vandy, we'll have to see more from vandy but um yeah so we'll see the carolina game probably the one i'll circle though yeah so bk and i will be back on wednesday to talk about georgia you will not though so what would you what do you expect from Georgia? What would you like to see? What's, what are your thoughts about this game, this upcoming game this week? Well, I think the worst, the second worst thing that happened to Mizzou on Saturday was Georgia playing a close game against Kent State because you know yeah. that they're, yeah. they're pissed off. Kirby's going to have them fired up, and I think they're going to come out swinging on Saturday night. Uh, that being said, I think the defense could, if they play lights out, they could at least keep this a semi-close game in the first half. What I mean, the only way I think Mizzou stays in this game is you're just it's gonna have to be a bunch, you're not gonna be able to drive the ball consistently on Georgia. It's gonna have to be a bunch of explosive plays. You probably need one special team score, potentially special team slash defense, we'll say score. Um, and then just turnovers, a lot of good bounces. Um, you know, I think Georgia just they play such a clean game right now. Um, Brock Bowers is just a freak of nature. I Mizzou has some good athletes on defense. They don't have anybody that can one-on-one tackle Brock Bowers. And Georgia gets them the ball in. Georgia gets Brock Bowers the ball in ways that Mizzou wishes uh, Drinkwood's got Luther Bird in the ball. Um, And so I think we're going to see a lot of him Saturday night. I can't – I know I don't know what the line is as of now. I I honestly think I'm going to take Mizzou to cover, but I don't think it's going to be by a lot. I can see Georgia probably winning by 28, 30 potentially, something around there. When I uh, put up my opening lines, I saw 28 and a half. Okay. I would take that. I would take that. Georgia has not beaten the spread against Missouri all that often. Uh, of course, Missouri's only won outright one time, but, you know, good teams win, great teams cover. Exactly. Uh, so I, I would say, you know, 28 and a half is a lot. I don't know if Georgia's interested in, in beating an SEC foe by that much when you don't have to, yeah. especially late on a Saturday on the road. So, yeah, I'm intrigued. I'd probably take that if I was a betting man. But, uh, yeah, Georgia should smoke him, and that's that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. 
quite a ways away from being Georgia. So exactly. Um, Parker, any, any, any last thoughts, any parting shots? Um, I guess, I don't know. Message to the fans, uh, stay as hard as it may be. Stay, stay patient. Uh, you know, he still just landed the best recruiting class Mizzou has had since, um, you know, they've been in the sec, uh, give him two, three more years. Potentially. I've already said, I want to see an offensive coordinator and you've got to see the player development. If he can do those two things, I think he can stay on and have, you know, a long tenure here in Columbia. That being said, those are two very big ifs, uh, that have, uh, caused a lot of coaches to get fired in the past. So again, this season can almost already be chalked up unless something crazy happens as a slight disappointment, considering just the talent and hype around the team coming in. Uh, but there were positives to take from this game. There have been positives to take from the whole season so far. It's just, when are they going to get over that hump to where those positives start turning into, they're not moral victories anymore and they're real victories. And I think that's the, that's going to be the key for this team down the stretch of the season. I agree. And that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at Gillum underscore Parker. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, guys, eat.